this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Well, good morning. I'm looking forward to studying with you today. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We're going to be thinking about accountability this morning, and we're just going to jump right into it. If you want to be turning in your Bible to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, as we begin our discussion this morning on accountability. If uh, you're interested in finding some more resources, or maybe you've missed uh, these broadcasts in the past and you would like to hear those, or Uh, Again, maybe find some other studying aids. Uh, You can visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org. You can find those there. And uh, as always, we invite questions. We invite comments. If you have anything that you would like to share or would like to uh, set up maybe a personal study with us, please uh, email us at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. When we think about accountability, I think it's typically in a negative sense. And... You know, when I say that, I just think about how we, you know, we use it almost always in the negative sense. We, we say things like, we, well, we need to hold him accountable or she has to have some accountability for this. She needs to be held responsible. So we usually think of it in a negative sense because I think primarily we're always using it in regard to bad behavior and thinking about holding someone accountable for their bad behavior or decisions that they have made. But I, but accountability in and of itself, I don't think, is a bad thing. And the Bible doesn't present it as, as a bad thing. In fact, it's very good and it's very necessary if we're going to be the kind of people God wants us to be. And, I, you know, I, I say it's a good thing, but the trouble is I think no one really seems to to like accountability or appreciate it, you know, even though we speak of people needing it, we speak of other people as needing it, right? He or she needs, needs accountability, need to be held um, accountable. Um, But the fact is, is that we all need it and we should all appreciate it, myself included. And I want to begin with this example in Mark chapter nine, because I think it shows Jesus's power in, in holding his disciples accountable and wanting to hold his disciples Accountable. So it says in verse 33 of Mark chapter 9 that they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them, uh, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. And so that seems like a pretty harmless question there in verse 33. What were you talking about? What were you what were you discussing on your way here? And it says in their response in verse 44 that they didn't say anything. They kept silent because they had been talking about which one of them was the greatest on the way? Uh, so was it that Jesus didn't know what they were talking about? Well, of course he did. As as the ensuing teaching proves, he knew what they were discussing, and so he uses this as an opportunity 
to teach them about greatness and who is going to be great in his kingdom. Uh, not just whoever thinks so or who thinks of themselves as a leader, but the one who is willing to humble himself and to be a servant of all, to be last of all, and to be a servant of all. But he still asked the question. He still asked the question, even though he knows what they were talking about. And so that proves, I believe, that he understood, that Jesus understood and, and knew that his disciples needed to be held accountable for what they were talking about. And I think we see that pattern over and over again in God and, and these teaching moments like this, you know, as far back as Eden. You go back to the Garden of Eden and Genesis chapter 3 after man, after Adam and Eve have sinned and disobeyed God. He, you know, we get the question, who told you that you were naked and have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? You know, by that point, they're, they're hiding because they hear God walking in the garden and they confess that they were hiding because they were naked and, and and then we get the question in Genesis three eleven. So God knew the answer to the question. He already knows he knows what had happened in the paradise that he created. He knew what man had done, but he still confronts, he still demands an explanation. Why? I think it's because he's unyielding when it comes to accountability. He demands a reason for behavior, for these decisions. He wants some justification, not because he doesn't know why we've done what we've done, but I think in order to teach us, in order to teach us, and so that we can better understand why it is that we've done what we've done and where we've gone off the tracks, where we've been derailed. And I believe he's called us to do the same for one another, just as he uh, treats us in that regard. Look in Galatians chapter 6. So just as God holds us accountable and confronts us and demands an explanation for behavior, I think he expects us to do that for one another as well. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, we get the instruction from Paul, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted and bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so we have this command then to uh, hold each other accountable if someone is caught in sin or caught in a trespass, is what the New American Standard says in Galatians 6.1. He says you go to that person and you try to restore them, right? Restore them in a spirit of gentleness, but also take heed to yourself so that you won't be tempted and to make the same mistake. So... To be caught in a trespass means to be caught in sin and an attitude or word or deed. And we have this responsibility as individuals and collectively as a, as a local church, when we're members of a local church, to take corrective action. And it's not that we do that in a gleeful, you know, now we got you kind of way. Uh, but we do that and we should do it out of loving concern and we should do it with discretion and gentleness is what Paul specifically names here in Galatians 6.1. This is how we help one another and craft one another to be better disciples. This is what accountability looks like. And it's a good thing. It's a necessary thing, even though situations and circumstances can be sticky and not good in the sense, obviously, here that sin is involved. We don't want sin to be in the camp. Uh, we certainly want to root it out of our own lives. We will hold ourselves accountable and examine ourselves. But we have this responsibility, too, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Look with me now in Proverbs chapter 27. I think that this is such a great, uh, this this shows the, the biblical spin or the positive perspective the Bible has of accountability. Uh, so we've seen that we need to hold each other accountable, but look at how the Bible says we should view accountability in and of itself. So Proverbs chapter 27 <clears throat> Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. And faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now, how does this speak to accountability? Well, for one thing, it says open rebuke is better, is good, is better than love that is concealed. So in other words, we need to be willing to take the better route, this open this open rebuke. Now that doesn't mean, you know, I wait till I'm in a public place and I, you know, and I get up on my pedestal to, you know, condemn or or expose my brother or sister in Christ. But what it what it means is that I need to be willing to make an honest response to the best and worst in their character. And they need to be willing to do the same for me. We all need to be willing to make that honest, objective response to the best and worst in our character. We need to be frank with one another, but that doesn't mean we have to be terse or rude. We can be plain, uh, but still loving. And the implication here is, is that if there isn't this open rebuke, then that is love that is concealed. In other words, if it means we don't really love someone, if we're not willing to uh, rebuke them if we're not willing to hold them accountable for their behavior. Love that remains concealed, in other words, doesn't speak the truth even when it hurts. However painful the truth may be, if we're not willing to speak that to our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we don't really love them. And that's consistent with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, is it not? In that famous text, that well-known text in which he goes through the various characteristics of love. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast. And one of the things that he says there in verse 6 is that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. And the implication is, from Proverbs 27, love rejoices in the truth, however painful it may be, even if the truth is this person needs to be Rebuke, this person needs to be held accountable for their sin. And then the flip side that Proverbs 27 offers, if you caught it at the end of there, verse 6, that faithful um, are the wounds of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of, of an enemy. So we have, again, this, this positive reminder that our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the wounds that they give us, that they deliver us in this open rebuke are faithful, but but kisses of an enemy can be deceitful. So the, the point is this is that there are genuine and there are phony expressions of friendship. And we have to learn to tell the difference and to distinguish between uh, rebukes that spring from a pure, genuine heart, rebukes that are spoken in love, Ephesians 4.15, and these hollow displays of affection. So someone can flatter us and someone can tell us that we're doing okay and that they love us, but this could be deceitful. 
a hollow display of affection. That's not genuine love, in other words, no matter what the person is saying. If it's not the truth, it's not, it's not love. They don't really love us. But if we give one another open and honest and caring words, however, again, painful those words may be, we can know that we love one another. I love this uh, quote from Henry Ward Beecher. He said this uh, once. He says, It is one of the severest tests of friendship to tell your friend his faults. So to love a man that you cannot bear to see a stain upon him and to speak painful truth through loving words, that is friendship. And I love that quote because it it is so adequately, it really parallels what Proverbs 27 verses 5 and 6 are telling us, that to genuinely love somebody means that you're willing to rebuke them, you're willing to um, help them see their, their faults. And if they genuinely love me and they and they love you then they'll they'll be willing to do the same they'll be willing to speak painful truth through loving words again not because they're vindictive or they're gleeful about this or they just want to say i got you and you know just kind of have this holier than thou attitude that's not the point that's not that's not real friendship you know that's competition that's something else entirely but genuine friendship entails this and genuine love entails this rebuke and accountability and why are the wounds of a friend faithful? That's also part of that verse. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Why can the wounds, metaphorical wounds that we receive from being rebuked by a friend, whether when they're showing us our faults uh, and, and holding us accountable, they can be faithful or they can be trusted because those wounds are meant to correct. Those wounds are meant to heal uh, uh, ultimately, to make us better. Proverbs 25, back a couple of chapters in verse 12, Solomon said, Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So it comes down to our, our attitude, both as you know the giver, if you will, of accountability and, and the receiver. We, we want to hold people accountable, but we also want them to hold us accountable. And if we have this biblical attitude and perspective in regard to accountability, Solomon says you should see you should see that that reproof or that rebuke as fine gold. If you have a listening ear, if you really want to be right with God and you want your brothers and sisters to help you be right and have accountability. So is that what we are to our brethren? Do we and do we appreciate it when they are a wise reprover? To us, I think that's the attitude that we see in David in Psalm 141. Listen to this this text from Psalm 141 in verse 5. So uh, David begins this psalm back, uh, I'll read in verse 2. He says, uh, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity and do let not do not let me eat of their delicacies. And then he says this in verse 5. So he's already calling God to hold him accountable. He wants God to help him guard his mouth, to, to guard his life from sin. And then he says this, Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. 
Let him rebuke me, that is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. And so David, David's attitude was such that he, he's inviting this accountability. He's, he's wanting this correction when the time comes. Let, let a righteous man strike me, and I will see that as a kindness, and let him rebuke me, and that is oil upon my head. And then he goes on to say that further down the road that this, you know, his response will be he won't refuse it and he won't be embittered by this being held accountable. He won't be embittered by this uh, rebuke and this reproof, but rather his prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. In other words, I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not I'm not going to uh, pray that something would, bad would happen to the person who's hold, held me accountable or or be vindictive towards them, but rather he's inviting this accountability. And that's that's the biblical attitude. That's the that's that's the perspective that we should have and the attitude that we should have, that we're willing to invite this accountability, this correction for ourselves when we need it. And and we should be willing willing to do that for others also. Now there comes a time However, when accountability must be taken to another level, I don't want to talk about this some uh, now. We've we've seen in Galatians chapter six and verse one uh, that in a spirit of gentleness we need to correct those who are caught in a trespass. And I think the implication there is, you know, someone who is who has stumbled in, and is not in outright rebellion or is not you know walking according to the flesh and in apostasy, uh, but rather they have have been ensnared and they and they need help and they're struggling and they're weak and they need help and they need this accountability but there comes a time when accountability must be taken to another level and the bible speaks to this and Jesus himself actually in Matthew chapter 18 shows this kind of escalation of accountability and how it should pre- proceed uh, beginning in in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 he says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. And that's the end of the matter. So so there's the accountability. Jesus is again saying, if your brother sins, okay, you go to him, you hold him accountable, you reprove him, you show him, an, you show him his fault, you expose it before him. And if he listens, if he responds favorably and does what he needs to do or she does what she needs to do, then that's the end of the matter. You've won your brother or your sister back. Right, just like in Galatians six, and verse one, that language that Paul uses, they've been restored. They've been restored. But Jesus says, continuing, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And so more people are involved now. One or two more, Jesus says, with you, to confirm what's going to happen. And then still. If he refuses to listen to them, Jesus says, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You see, there comes a time when the gentle approach isn't effective in holding someone accountable. Just going to them in private, even, as Jesus says, and showing them their fault, they refuse to listen. 
And Jesus says, here's what needs to happen. Here's the escalation. You take more people with you, and if they don't listen to these other brothers and sisters, then you tell it to the church and let the whole church hold them accountable and speak to them about this matter. And then if they refuse to listen to the church, then what happens? What's the implication here of let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector after all these options have been exhausted? Well, He's talking about discipline. He's talking about um, removing them from, from the church, no longer considering them as a brother or sister. So in, in a Jewish historical context or Jewish cultural context, you know, they had no association with Gentiles, uh, and for the most part they hated tax collectors and wouldn't have anything to do with them. And so when this moment arrives that Jesus is talking about, that, that it's reached this point we need to be willing to to engage this people in, 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 in all these attempts and be prepared. But ultimately, the God's plan, God's plan for corrective action, um, as it's unfolding here, as Jesus is, is describing it, includes this disassociation. And we can see that in 1 Corinthians 5 because it actually plays out there. The church in Corinth had had this issue. And, and they had failed to hold this person accountable who was in sin. Paul says specifically that he had his father's wife. Um, so we don't know all the details. That's all Paul says. But evidently this it, it was immorality, verse 1, that there's immorality among you, immorality that doesn't even exist among the Gentiles. And he is calling the church to hold this person accountable. But apparently this man... Uh, wasn't having any of it, and and he was boasting about it, and the church was boasting with him about it. And so Paul says in verses 4 and 5, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, the implication is when you are assembled as a church, and I am with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now is that harsh? Yes. Is that biting? Yes. Is it extreme? Yes. But it was necessary at this point. The church had failed to hold this man accountable, and now Paul is holding the church accountable and urging them to do so. And sadly, any church can join Corinth in the state that they were in if we forget Jesus' words, pay attention, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, Rebuke him if he repents, forgive him. Luke 17, 3. So Paul goes into detail. What, what does he mean by deliver such a one to, to Satan for the destruction of his flesh? He says in verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. And he says, I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or with idolaters because then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with a so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging others? Do you not judge those who are within the church? And so Paul is saying, I didn't mean you need to try and avoid immoral people altogether because when you, as just as you live your life and as you go out into the world, that's going to happen. It's unavoidable. He said, what I meant specifically was those brothers and sisters among you in the church if they 
go back to a life of immorality and, and become idolaters, revilers, or drunkards, and all these other such things wrapped up in what Paul is saying here. If they become sinful, in other words, again, and are living sinfully and walking according to the flesh, then you don't associate with them. You don't have anything to do with them. And that is the, the final step in this escalation that Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 18. And we see it unfolding here. So accountability, you know, it, it, it's, it's effective and it's by design uh, to, to be that way. And there is an escalation to it biblically as, as far as the church's responsibility, our responsibility to one another is. It, 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 can, it can get ugly. It can be very tragic, you know, especially if someone repeatedly fails to respond to um, exposure and, and correction from a brother or numerous brothers or sisters or even the whole church. But we can't afford to be passive. Accountability is necessary. It's a good thing, and we should want it. Um, that should be our attitude in regard to accountability. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be pleasant. Ultimately, it will be, Proverbs twenty-five, twelve and 27, 5 and 6. But that assumes, of course, those verses assume that we are responding to it in a favorable way, in the right way, and everybody is the better for it. But if someone doesn't, we can't afford to be passive. Regarding the commands we find in Matthew 18, verse 17, and also 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and following. We must be on our guard, as Jesus says. We must pay attention to ourselves. We must rebuke our brothers and sisters if they sin, and they must rebuke us if we sin, and then we must repent and forgive one another as we help each other's character, as we as we call attention to our each other's character and to the doctrines that we are teaching and, and to those that we might, uh, uh, who are struggling, we need to the call attention if we need our hands to be strengthened and our, and our knees that are feeble as to use the language from Hebrews 12 and verse 12. So we have to have the resolve to do that. We, we can't be squeamish about it. We just need to be honest with ourselves, with one another and, and, and say where we need help, say where we need accountability, make that known to our brothers and sisters so they can be praying for us and we can be praying for them and, and don't let it in there. We need to be actively talking about, these things and confessing our sins to one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Again, that's James 5.16. So it's not always going to be pleasant. It doesn't feel good to confess, to confess our sins, to be held accountable, to hold others accountable. But we desperately need it. We desperately need it. And when it's done in love and when it's done in humility and according to the biblical pattern, everybody wins. Everybody's going to benefit. But the inverse is also true. If we are passive in this, if we aren't following through with the biblical pattern, then we're all going to suffer as a result. So accountability is not a bad thing, and we should not think of it as such. But rather, we should be thankful for this, this great tool that God has given us to help us be transparent. Help us be transparent with one another. And so let's not, 
let's not resist that, which I think comes naturally, and that's our tendency. That's kind of our knee-jerk reaction when someone maybe untactfully uh, confronts us about something they're concerned about or something that we we've legitimately done wrong. Don't resist it, but we need to encourage it and exercise it and celebrate it even, I think, as the Scripture does. Well, I thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, that's that's our lesson for today. I hope it's been a beneficial study for you. It's it's helpful for me to remember these things. You know, no one's an exception to the rule here, and you know it uh, it, it may grade us a little bit to be held accountable. But again, it's we we need it. I need it. It's a good thing. And uh, if you want to study further, I invite that. Please contact us uh, at Leon Valley Church at gmail dot com. Visit our website Leon Valley Church. Uh, dot org, and uh, you can find some some other resources, past sermons, uh, past radio programs like this one, other articles and and things like this. So uh, feel free to drop us a line. And again, I thank you for tuning in. Look forward to studying with you next week at the same time, right here on KTM 10:30 a.m. at uh, Sunday morning. Uh, until then, I'm I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings. <laughs>